Hello. Hello. Happy Easter. Uh, I just want to say welcome. Uh, say my welcome as well. My name is Joe and um, one of the leaders here at New Community Church. It's great to be together. Uh, obviously doing things a little bit differently today. If you are a guest with us, uh, we don't normally uh, have kind of Easter egg fun and games and bunny rabbits in the park uh, beforehand and we don't usually kind of have all the kids in at the beginning and um, but it's fun to do that every so often to, to celebrate together to be family together the kids are as much a part of this church than, than we are and so it's great to, to, to have them as a part of this and celebrating with us um, I shouldn't have just eaten a chocolate egg because I can't actually get it out of my mouth now it's kind of like and I, had, I, I, put, I went right in and had about 12, so I need to get rid of some of these. There you go, James. <laughs> there you go. Bit of fun for you. We don't usually do that either. So, again, if you are a guest, uh, just let that kind of go past. Um, today we are obviously celebrating Easter, um, but we're also uh, finishing off our Mark series uh, this is kind of part eight, I believe. Yeah, part eight uh, of Mark. We've been going through the last few weeks. And, um, well, the last eight weeks there. Um, and we were, last week we looked at Mark 15. Mark 15 is uh, the cross, the crucifixion. It's Good Friday, if you like. And uh, Jesus was arrested, many of you will know, beaten, nailed, and crucified on a wooden cross. If that was the final chapter, Mark 15... If that was the end of the story, then Christianity would be a tragedy. <laughs> if it ended with Mark 15, we would have the most depressing scenario, wouldn't we? If you just imagine it for a moment. A murderer released and the innocent killed. Uh, excruciating pain, a crying, crying women everywhere, which is bad enough as it is. Um, dark skies. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, a huge stone in front of the, the so-called hero's tomb. At 6 p.m. on Friday, the disciples' fears are realized. Jesus is dead. And with it, their hopes and dreams of a savior literally buried in the grave. Death had won. If that was the end of the story. We know it isn't. But if it was, we would literally be wasting our time here today. Honestly, Christians would be the most pitiful people on the planet. Like, if Jesus was still dead, but we know the story doesn't end there. We know that Easter Sunday came. We know that Mark 16 came. We know that we have the resurrection. And so we're going to read through uh, the first eight verses of chapter 16 of Mark's gospel. Let's do that now. It should come up on the screen as well. It says this, when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, Jesus. And very early on, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And there they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now go 
Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Just imagine it for a moment. They were going to see and anoint the body of Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus wasn't there. See, in this chapter, in these first eight verses of Mark 16, we get the life-changing message of Easter. We get these three most significant words ever to have been written, ever to have actually been experienced. He is risen. Jesus was dead, but is now alive. This moment, this moment in history has changed the world forever. It's a moment that has changed billions of people's, over two billion people's lives around the world today. A moment that has changed many of our lives in this room and a moment that continues to change people's lives today. It's a big claim that this one moment could do such a thing, but it's truly good news. Yet many would argue, isn't it a little bit strange to be celebrating uh, someone who claimed to be God and yet died? In fact, through history, there were dozens of people who claimed to be gods, who led movements of people, claimed to be the Messiah, but each of them followed a familiar pattern. What happened was when the leader died, the whole thing collapsed and everybody went home. The leader died, the whole thing collapsed, all go home. But not in this case. Not in this case with Jesus. See, like, un- unlike any other movements, the death of Jesus resulted in the explosion of the church. The explosion, which is now the worldwide movement of the church, um, over 2,000 years later. And it continues to multiply around the world today. I just want to share you a few testimonies of church increase around the world. It says in East, uh, a missionary reported in East Asia in November 2000, he's, uh, this is challenging to me, his vision was to see 200 new churches started among his people group over the next three years. 200, that's a lot. But four months later, we had already reached that goal. After only six months, we had already seen 360 churches planted and more than 10,000 new believers baptised. Now I'm asking God to enlarge my vision. I think I am as well. Um, In 2002, a church planting movement in China brought about 15,000 new churches and 160,000 new believers in one year. The church is exploding around the world, even today. After centuries of another one of hostility to Christianity, many Central Asian Muslims are embracing the gospel. In Kazakhstan, the the decade before 2004 saw more than 13,000 Kazakhs come to faith. 13,000 Kazakhs come to faith. A couple more. In Outer Mongolia, a church planting movement saw more than 10,000 new believers. Another movement in Inner Mongolia counted more than 50,000 new believers, all during the 1990s. Obviously, these are all just numbers to us, but these are people's lives being transformed. We might not think of it because of where we are right now. We might not think that the church is exploding, but actually when we lift our gaze and see what God is doing around the world, it kind of reminds us of this. It's continuing to expand and multiply. Just one more testimony of, uh, this one's more closer to home. See, what started uh, in uh, just a few, a handful of 
are kind of small house churches in southeast England. New Frontiers, a network of church families that we're a part of, that new communities are part of, is now across uh, 2,000 churches in 80 nations. Started as a few houses in southeast London, is now across 80 nations or 80 languages of the world, 80 um, nations of the world, around 2,000 churches. When I hear them kind of statistics, it lifts my gaze to see, wow, Jesus is unlike any other leader. He's unlike any other movement that's gone before. Why is this? Why could this happen? Because Jesus came back to life. The Christian faith rests entirely on this, that the leader has come back to life. Jesus isn't where he is supposed to be. Verse 6, back into Mark 16, says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was killed. He was actually physically killed. He was dead. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. What I love about Mark's description here is he's like, see the place where they laid him. It's like faith, you know, you might, some people might think faith is kind of wishful thinking or think just, we're just completely ignorant of the facts. We just ignore the facts and we just do what we want to do. We just have this kind of wishy-washy belief. No, no, no. He says, uh, see the place where they laid him. He's not there. He's not there anymore. It's like the whole basis of our faith rests on this, on this event that took place, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul understands this. He understands that it all rests. <laughs> I hope you get this point. The resurrection, all of it, all of the Christian faith rests on this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. There's no point me speaking here right now. And your faith is in vain. There's no point you being here with the people of God if the Christ has not been raised. It goes on in verse 19 to say, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we're a bit of a sorry lot. However, if he is raised from the dead, if Jesus isn't where he is supposed to be, as Mark is account, telling his account of, this helps us to see that that changes everything. If you're a Christian in this room, this should give you such confidence. Do you know why? Why? It's because your faith isn't dependent on how you feel today. It's not dependent on whether you felt like singing or not. It's not dependent on how well you think you're doing in your Christian faith. No, no, no. It's dependent wholly on the truth that Jesus is risen from the dead. Wholly on that. And see, so on days that we might feel a bit apathetic or doubtful, I don't know, it might just be me that has them days. I'm sure it's you as well. Look to the resurrection. Look to the fact the event that took place, that Jesus was raised from the dead. See, that is the only constant, really. That's the only foundation. That's the only key truth that really we should uh, base our, put all our eggs, our Easter eggs, there you go, in one basket. Rely on it. Depend upon it. It's the only constant and truth that makes the difference in our lives. If you're not a Christian, like we love having you here. We love having people amongst us that might, not dis- that might not agree with everything that we share. That's fine. It's a great opportunity to come and explore. And we want you to know that you don't have to leave your brain at the door. You don't have to leave your brain at the door because actually we're looking at what it is to put our trust in Jesus 
And it doesn't mean we ignore the facts. It doesn't mean we have this wishful thinking that is only based on feelings. Come and explore this journey with us. But a lot of people can't believe in this. Their worldview doesn't allow for the dead to come back to life. That's the reality. Their their worldview doesn't allow that. For them, this kind of best, at best is like a nice story, uh, at worst, a terrible lie. But Mark challenges us in this gospel, this account of what actually happened on that day, because he's helping us to see that this is history. This is history. This is what took place, the events that happened. See, it would be ridiculous of me to tell you that I don't think the Twin Towers happened. I don't think it happened because I wasn't there. I didn't see it. It'd be ridiculous. You know that. I can read reports about it, but I could, I could say, no, no, I weren't there. Don't believe it happened. Mark is telling us the events that took place on that day. So let's look at what he says. Let's look at this passage. There's a couple of things that, that helps us to see that Mark was actually just telling the accounts of what took place. Because to be honest with you, some of the details that are in this, if he was trying to convince people that Jesus is real, he wouldn't have left them in there. Unless he was telling them the, the facts, telling them what has happened. So the first one's this. The first few verses we see that who was it to go to the tomb to see that it was empty? Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Salom. They were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Why, you say, why does that matter? Why does that make any difference? Well, in those days, historians gave great credit to eyewitness accounts. So they took, they would find out who was there and they would hear their testimonies and then they would... uh, it would understand and hear what, what actually happened. However, also in these days, and some of you will know this, women's testimonies didn't count for much. I know today that's like, what? We don't like that. And that was the reality in, in them days. There was even a guy called Celsus, a Greek pagan philosopher, about 80 years after Jesus, who really didn't like Christianity. He even tried, he did all he could to try and kind of debunk all of it. And writing about the resurrection... I don't know if I should actually say this because it's, 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 it's harsh, but he said his main reason for why it couldn't be true, the main reason why the resurrection couldn't be true was that we can't believe women. He said, he actually wrote, we all know that women are hysterical. <laughs> and I'm not, I don't agree with that, obviously. There's some men that are incredibly hysterical as well, me probably being one of them. Um, and uh, I think he would have had a bit of a hard life if he was around in today's society. Um, but the point of this, is why I'm sharing this, is Mark, if Mark was making this up, he would not have said that women were the first people to get to, the, to see Jesus was raised to life. See, their testimonies were not, they're not, they weren't taken into account. That would have been stupid unless Mark is simply telling it exactly how it happened, that the women arrived and the body was no longer there. The second thing uh, Mark challenges us is this idea, we're kind of doing a little bit, of, little bit different today, looking at kind of what may be the reasons why people might argue against the resurrection. The second thing Mark challenges us is the idea that often modern people might have, you and I, that people back then, they just believed in all kind of stuff, like anything, like they were, they were kind of gullible. And 
other than being kind of a bit slightly modern snobbery, because um, we think we all have all the answers in our day and age, other than that, actually, there's a problem with this kind of thinking. See, if you look at verse 7, it says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So Jesus obviously spent a lot of time uh, with Peter and the other disciples. And in many, on many occasions, Mark kind of points him out a couple of them, but on many occasions he told them that he was going to be raised to, from the dead. In Mark 8 and Mark 10, we read that Jesus told the disciples, I will rise on the third day. Later in Mark 14, 28, he tells his disciples, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So hear this, they, Jesus had told them that he was going to be raised from the dead. Were they there, ready, waiting for Jesus to be raised to life? No. Was the woman going to the grave, the, the tomb, to, to, to see Jesus there alive? No, no, no. They went with spices and perfume because that's what they did to anoint the bodies that were dead. They expected to see a dead body. See, in their eyes, dead people didn't come back to life either. They didn't expect it to happen. Nobody believed them, even that Jesus had told them it was going to happen until they saw it. Until they saw it with their own eyes. Have you, I'm just trying to help us understand that maybe they weren't so different to maybe we are today. Have you ever heard or said it even yourself? I'll, see, I'll believe it when I see it with my own eyes. We kind of long, we kind of live on that kind of mantra almost, like materialism. Like we, we, unless I've felt it, unless I've seen it with my own eyes, then it's not true. Well, they had no expectation either that it was going to happen. They would, some of us would, some people would prefer to believe anything other than this. Yet, when the unexplainable things that we can't explain are confronted with undeniable facts. The evidence is just too overwhelming to deny. See, faith happens when something that is unexplainable is confronted with something undeniable. See, my modern Western worldview might tell me that dead people don't come back to life, but when confronted with the facts that Jesus isn't where he was supposed to be, that the tomb was empty, that there were multiple, not just these that we read about in Mark, we're trying to stay faithful to the passage, but but there were multiple eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, including on one occasion when five, uh, Jesus appeared to 500 people all at the same time, many of whom were still alive even when the first accounts were being written, as well as the two billion people around the, 12, the world today who testify of this power at work in their lives. We heard of even a couple earlier today. As we, as we, realize, as we see this, then the resurrection becomes an undeniable demonstration of God's power. Faith happens when something that is unexplainable is confronted with something undeniable. This is history. This is history that changed the world. But it's not just this concept. It's history that changes individual lives. That's why many of us are here right now. See, so just look back at verse 7 again. It says, uh, the angel, the, the young person, the angel said, hear the woman, sorry, said, go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. 
So Peter's name is uh, called out here specifically. And we're going to look at that, why that is in a moment. But can you imagine why, what Jesus could have been, <laughs> if, if Jesus was like me, what, what would I would have been thinking if the disciples had done what they just did? They'd literally gone after Jesus crucified. They think it's all over. They've gone into hiding. They don't know what to do. Remember, Jesus has told them that it was going to happen. I would have thought, wow, these guys are faithless. They, what are they playing at? They're fools. They're foolish. They did not listen to me. They are fools. And in fact, they're cowards as well. They're hiding away. What are they playing at? See, that would have been my response. I'm sad to admit. However, what was Jesus' response? Jesus' response is love and forgiveness that is totally unconditional. He calls individuals, he's called many of us by name. Peter. Peter is specifically named in this passage. Why do we think this is? Well, if you were here a few weeks back, you, you might have heard when we were looking back in one of the chapters in Mark that, that Peter had this moment where he said to Jesus, even though they, pointing to the others, even though they, the other followers, are going to fall away or may fall away, I will not. I'm not going to fall away. He's like, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm with you through thick and thin. If all goes wrong, nothing will stop me from following you. We know what happens. <laughs> what happened when Jesus got arrested? Peter denied, even knowing Jesus or ever being with Jesus, to a little girl, to a young little girl. Peter messed up big time. Not just the hypocrisy, but he... He would have felt shame in that moment. He totally rejected Jesus. He felt like a huge failure. It broke Peter. It actually broke him. It says he, he wept. I don't know how long he wept for, but I can imagine it was for a long time as he realized that what he'd done to reject Jesus. And what does Jesus do? And we read in this passage, he calls Peter by name. See, the women are told to go tell Peter that Jesus is going to see you again in Galilee. And I, I don't know if you can imagine it for a moment. This is, this is a wonderful moment of grace. We might miss this, but this is a wonderful moment of grace because where Jesus is going to meet Peter is back to where he first called Peter to follow him. It's a wonderful moment of saying, you know what, this does not, this mess up does not disqualify you. It doesn't stop you from receiving my grace and my mercy. It, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you back to where I first called you and rem, restore you and remind you and relaunch you back into the mission that I've called you to, which is to go and make disciples. This mess that you've done, this mess up of your life, does not disqualify you from being used by me. I don't know about you, I often feel like Peter. I often mess up. I often get things wrong. This is a reminder that because of who Jesus is, he's not like us. Because of his love, his grace, his mercy, our mess-ups do not disqualify us. And we find that hard to understand, but it's true. And we know actually from 
reading some of the rest of the Bible, we see that Peter was one of the, 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 the great leaders, the main leaders in the early church. And he even ends up writing some of the Bible. What turned Peter from being someone who was cowardly and denied Jesus into a, a leader who boldly proclaimed Jesus? What was it that, that caused Peter to be this big time mess up, to being used by God in unimaginable ways? Well, the answer is found in the gospel, in the stunning nature of the story of Easter. That God loves you. God loves Peter so much that he was willing to lay down his life for him. He's willing to die for him on the cross. He was willing to, you know, we talked about it last week, but to experience the, the physical pain, but also the pain of the separation from his father. But Peter, in recognizing that he'd messed up and turning back to Jesus, actually experienced deep repentance. His repentance was deep, was deep. He knew how much he'd failed. He'd failed big time, but it meant his repentance was deep. It was big time <laughs> repentance. And because of it, it means that he had an understanding that God's grace alone qualified him to be used by God. He wasn't qualified because of intellect or how well he was feeling or doing or how good he was. And I think sometimes we think like this. We think, I need to be doing better. And, you know, there's, there's some truth in that. But it doesn't come from trying to rally myself up to try harder. It comes from understanding great God's grace towards you more. That's how we understand. See, some of us, you need to hear this. In God granting salvation to you, gifting you, it's a gift. Yeah, salvation is a gift. It's given to you. He doesn't now just, just kind of tolerate you and put up with you. He doesn't just kind of just about cope with you being in part of his kingdom. No, no, he calls you friend. And he invites you not just to come along for the ride, but he invites you into a deep, deep relationship with him. He invites you on an adventure. The Christian life. I know sometimes it feels a bit mundane and boring. And that is part of it. We have to keep going. We have to keep one step at a time coming back to Jesus, reminding ourselves of who he is. But he's invited us on an adventure where every day we get to understand that his grace alone qualifies us to be used by him. It's not what you're doing or how you feel, but it's based on him and him alone. God knows you and calls you by name. God takes specialists in mess-ups. Are you a specialist in mess-up? Oh, man. If you knew the half of me, you would know that I'm a specialist in mess up. Specialist in failures like you and I, he transforms us. Yeah, he doesn't want to leave us as mess up. Don't, get, don't hear what I'm not saying. He does want to come and transform us. And he does that and then he moves us on and he sends us out to go and make disciples. To proclaim his good news, his amazing grace. See, salvation comes through the weakness of Jesus dying on the cross. Salvation is received when you and I admit we're weak. When you and I admit that we're incapable, that we don't have it all together, and we need a saviour. That's when salvation comes. When we recognise we cannot do this, but he can. But we don't like to admit we're weak, do we? We don't like to admit we've failed. We kind of avoid it and we 
try and put the blame on someone or somewhere else. And we hate it because it feels like loss. In fact, it feels actually like death. But what we need to do is accept that it is death. Accept that it is weakness. And see, as we do that, as we accept it, it drives us deeper into the gospel. Because when we know that we cannot do this, when we accept that we are weak, it reminds us that Jesus is strong, that he is powerful, that he has conquered the grave. I can't do that. I can't make myself come back to life. I can't make myself a better person, but he can. He transforms. And so when we understand and step into the gospel, we understand that death is followed by resurrection life. That's what we see in the Easter message. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've been here a while or maybe uh, you've grown up in a Christian family. Maybe you've been away from church for a while. Maybe you need to come back and admit you are weak and you don't have it all together and that you're in need of a saviour. Maybe you need to confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's an opportunity, opportunity to come to him today. See, I spent many of my years thinking I had to try and be this good person. And and I thought I was a good person. I knew I did the odd bad thing now and then and still do. But I would try and do things to make myself feel better. Yeah, I came to a point of realising that I'd never be good enough for God. Because like Peter, I'd messed up, but Jesus is good enough. And so I could either kind of try and try and try to keep kind of climbing this ladder to try and do all these good things, to be a better person, knowing that I would always fall short of God's standard. (laughs) Or I could die. That seems strange. See, I needed to die to this unachievable goal of trying to be good enough and realize Jesus is good enough. To realize that the very reason for Easter, Jesus dying to take away my sins, being raised from death to conquer Satan, sin and shame and death once and for all. And so 13 years ago or so, I admitted that I was weak. I accepted I would never be good enough and recognized my need for a saviour. And in putting my trust in him, I know that his grace alone each day qualifies me to be used by him in unimaginable ways that I would never believe. I never believe I'd be here speaking to you guys about this. (laughs) Not anything else but his grace qualifies me and you to be in his family and to be used by him. Maybe you need to turn back to him again today. Peter realized he had messed up, he'd failed, and he could not put right what he'd done wrong. He recognized he was weak, and his relationship with Jesus was beyond repair. And yet, as Peter even says himself in Peter 1, 3 to 4, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, death 
leads to life. We're born again to a living hope. I'm still youngish, uh, but as I get older each year, I realise a little bit more that things around me fade. Things around me perish. Things around me spoil. Things even in me do as well. So think about health for a moment. Health. When I, when I was 19, I could literally run the London Marathon with not very much training. I could kind of do, Dad, you can ask my dad, I'm being truthful. Uh, do a bit of training, not much, and then I, do a, I did the London Marathon. Now, I've got a hernia, and it's really hard to get out of bed in the morning. It's like, what happened? Like, things fade. Like, things deteriorate. Things perish. Don't dwell on the hernia thing too much. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> health fades. Health deteriorates. If we got wealth, wealth for a moment. Like, <laughs> we had a moment this week. We had a went to pay. It was like, it's not working. I was like, oh, you can't. She actually rang me because I wasn't there. She was like, the car's not working. Can you come and, come and bring your card? I was like, I came and brought my card thinking it's going to work. No, not enough funds. What? What's going on here? I was like, I'm pretty sure payday was only yesterday. What's going on? Um, it's like the money fades away as quickly as it comes in. Um, and uh, it, was, it was all fine. But um, we can't hold on to these things. Health deteriorates. Money goes and deteriorates. Even family. Like, I love my kids. This week, my kids have been at my parents'. To be honest with you, it's been bliss. It's been nice. Um, but, but they're, they're absolutely shattered. But for me, for me, it's been, you know, quite nice. And Hannah, um, although we've been working hard this week on our house. Wow. Um, but I still miss them, obviously. I miss them. There was, there was part of me that actually was, was actually, I got home on Wednesday and they're normally like crying. I can hear crying from coming up the street usually. I'm like, oh yeah, the kids are there. Um, or, Daddy. But I didn't get that. And I was like, oh, this is weird. So I missed them. There was, and I kind of, it kind of made me think for a moment, like, actually, at some point, they're going to, they're, they're, right now, they're completely dependent on us. At some point, they're not going to be. They're going to go, leave home. And they're not going to care about me, really. Like, um, I do care about you, mum, dad, but not. <laughs> I don't, I never ring them. So they, they you know. Um, but it's like, even family, even kids, we can't hold on to them. We can't hold on to them because they will eventually get away from us and do their own thing. It doesn't mean we don't take responsibility right now, but one day they will be away from us. And it just reminded me that everything, everything in life kind of fades. However, the resurrection changes everything. This Bible quote we just read that we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wow. Our bodies may fail, but one day we'll get a new body. The Bible says one day we will get a new body. Some of us think we like our bodies, but one day we'll have an even better one. No. We heard a testimony earlier of healing, and that's, that's heaven on earth. That, that is, in one day when we're in heaven, there will be no healing more need to be required because all healing will be done. It will be finished. 
But right now, heaven comes and invades earth on occasions and occasions and moments and moments. And I believe it's going to increase and there's going to be more occasions and more occasions. And, and it will, we will see more of God at work in our lives. But one day, one day, we will stand face to face with him with, a, with an inheritance that is imperishable underfathered and unfading. Just a quick testimony of a, of a lady uh, called Joni Erickson Tada. Uh, she's a Christian, but she had a diving accident as a teenager, which resulted in her being paralyzed. Uh, she's now almost 70, and um, she reflects on how sad she was feeling when she could kind of remember that she used to run and walk. Uh, and she envied people that could kneel and pray. And then thinking about the resurrection, thinking about when one day she would stand face to face with Jesus, she says this, then it occurred to me that the first thing I'll do with my new legs is drop to glorified knees and worship Jesus who saved me. Then I'll do a backflip. (laughs) She understood the resurrection changes everything. It affects her life right here, right now, because she lives with this living hope. 